Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for your love, for your mercy, and for providing us this place to worship you. We thank you for those faithful Christians who uh, so many years ago constructed this place, that it might be a place of reverence, of awe, of encountering you face to face, and that we are inheritors of this, Lord. We pray that this morning you would reveal yourself powerfully to us, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would uh, breach our defenses, Lord, and that you would give me your words to proclaim to your people the hope of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would bless uh, this day, and we consecrate it to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Morning! It is phenomenal to see you all today. Uh, If I were, though, to think of three words to describe our current generation, I would say busy, busy, busy. How about you guys? What do you think? Fair enough? I think we're busy. At least I feel busy. Do you feel busy? Um, When I see somebody, you know, somebody I know, I'll ask them, how are you doing? And almost without fail, they'll say, oh, I'm doing fine, but I'm busy. I'm pretty busy. Right? I mean, is that what you hear from people too? That's what I feel for myself as well. And so I did some research into busyness. I had some spare time to fill. So I figured I'd uh, do that by researching this. And I came upon an article on the BBC website by a guy named Oliver Berkman. And he said, historically, the ultimate symbol of wealth, achievement, and social superiority was the freedom not to work. Does that make sense? Uh, the true badge of honor, as the 19th century Norwegian-American economist Thorstein Veblen put it, was leisure. Leisure was like the, the apex. If you could get to leisure, uh, you, had, you had gotten there. Now it's busyness that has become the indicator of high status. And according to this one researcher who studies busyness for their job, They say, the best off in our society are often very busy and have to be. You ask me, am I busy? And I'll tell you, yes, of course I'm busy because I'm an important person. Isn't that interesting, right? So in our world, our validation of self comes down to busyness on some level. That's a language that is Americans understand, that if you're busy, you must be valuable. Uh, They've actually done studies where they said they had Europeans and then they had Americans. And they described a person who had lots of time on their hands, they weren't working, and most Americans thought that person was poor. The other, on the other hand, they asked of the same group, uh, the Europeans, the same group. They said, oh, this person doesn't have, like, they, they have lots of spare time on their hands, Um, they're not actively engaged in work, and, and the Europeans all thought they were wealthy. Right? Our culture really values Busyness. It's kind of like part as part of our Protestant work ethic. We just need to be busy, and that's how we justify who we are. Now, I don't know if I'm really feeling that when I'm busy. Most of the time, I just feel tired, <laughs> right? And I feel kind of stressed out. And I see, you know, I see opportunities that I miss, or I forget about things I'm supposed to do, right? When I get busy, I don't feel really great. Do you? Yeah, that's right, baby. That's right, I feel tired. And even when I'm supposed to be relaxing, there's all kinds of distractions, aren't there? Do you notice this? 
right? You, uh, you turn on your social media, right? And you start looking at it, and it's a bunch of people telling us how much they're relaxing. <laughs> right? And so they're working very hard to update everybody into how relaxed they are. Right? There's a post every hour or so from some people like, look how relaxed I am. Here's my feet. And here's my, you know, and here's what I'm eating. Here's what I'm, and that's how life is, right? We are so busy and wrapped up in busyness and it's hard to find time to stop. And I find for myself that busyness doesn't end. Doesn't end. It's really hard to turn it off and to get away from it and to feel like there's ever any completion. Just never feels done. And I think something like that is present in our gospel passage for today. Uh, in that gospel passage, we are with Jesus in the temple courts. And uh, Jesus is teaching a group of people. And the elders and chief priests come to him while he's teaching. And they want to check his credentials. They say, Jesus, show us your authorization badge so that we know that you really can teach here. Are you authorized? Have you Pad? Do you have a level four clearance? For temple teaching? Because if you don't, you're out of here, buddy. They say to him, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Jesus doesn't want to get in a discussion about where his authority comes from. Because what would he say? On the side, it comes from the Father, right? He's given me this authority, that's how, that's all I need. And they would get in a fight, right? And Jesus knows that's gonna be a fight, and so he doesn't wanna do it. He's there to teach the people. And so he sidesteps their question by sticking them with a thorny question, right? I love how Jesus does this, unless it's me he's asking. Um, how he turns the tables on his, on the interrogators, right? And so he asks them, well, let me ask you about John the Baptist. How about him? And they're like, well, if we say one side, one group's going to be mad. If we say the other side, we're going to validate those people we don't agree with. We're stuck. And so they don't want to answer his question either. So both of them are at an impasse. Neither question is getting answered. And so Jesus immediately transitions into a parable to show them something. In this parable, how many kids are there? We've got two sons, right? These two sons. And the dad tells the first one to go out and work in the vineyard. And if you've been paying attention during the last few weeks, there's lots of vineyard working in our gospel lessons, right? It's, it's very present in our parables the last few weeks. And the first replies to the father and he says, what? No, no I'm not going to go. Nope, not going to do it. Not going to do it. But later on, he changes his mind and decides to go out into that, that vineyard nonetheless, right? He goes out there and he works in the vineyard. The father, not knowing the change of heart of the first son, goes to the second and tells him to go and work in the vineyard today. And the second son replies saying, yeah, oh, sure, dad, I'm right there. I'll, I'll be there just in a minute. Right? And does he go? No, second doesn't go. Okay, first said no, but then went. Second said yes, but then didn't go. So Jesus asked them, and I assume by the them he's asking, I assume it's this broader audience now, right? The first group he was teaching, then the second was the, the chief priests and the elders who came to ask him where his authority came from. And so I assume he's addressing this whole group because it seems like his response is shaped in that way. And so he asked them, which of the two did the will of the father? And what do they reply? 
The first. Why the first? He ended up doing it even though he didn't initially want to. That's right. The first. And so Jesus immediately takes this response that they all agree that the first did the will of the Father, even though he said no first. And he interprets it out into judgment by saying, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. Bang. Ouch. I mean, that. I don't think they saw that coming, do you? No, Jesus has a way of doing that, immediately just turning the tables, and you're like, what? What just happened? The tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. Who's the you you think he's saying there? The priests, Yeah, the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, those elders, right? The ones who look all good on the outside. They're all put together. Life looks great. They have a really updated social media platform. You know, like life looks good for them, right? These ones, I think, is the ones Jesus is talking to that they're going to be after the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Now, this is a shocking statement, not only to them, but to everybody, I'm sure, who heard it, because the tables would be turned, and the Bible talks about that all the time, Old Testament, New Testament. There is all kinds of table turning, like the first will be last, the last will be first, the rich will be poor, the poor will be rich, right? That's all over the scriptures, and Jesus here is tapping into that. And then he explains why he made this grand statement. He says, for John came to you, that's John the Baptist, came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. Okay, so Jesus ties this whole thing, this whole parable to the message of John the Baptist. Right, that message of repentance and preparation because the kingdom of God was near. Right, that the tax collectors and the prostitutes responded to, even though they were on the wrong side of society, even though they had made huge mistakes in their life, their life was an active train wreck. Even so, they repented and would be going into heaven before the others. Where the other group, the ones who seemed to have it all together, the ones who seemed very religiously superior, did not respond to John the Baptist. And probably even more so after they saw tax collectors and prostitutes hanging out with them. They were like, I am not hanging out with that guy. Right? That message is beneath us. Okay, so this is a pretty um, heavy statement that Jesus has laid at our feet here. Now, let's look at the first son first. And I think he refers to the tax collectors and the prostitutes, right? Because in their life, they said no to God. They did what they wanted to do, even though it led to destruction and pain and suffering. And yet, when they heard the message of John the Baptist, they repented. They changed their minds. God changed their hearts, and they came to the Lord. They repented of running away from him and ran towards him instead. And then there's this second son. And I think he represents the elders, the chief priests, and all those folks, the Pharisees, the scribes, who all seem to be saying yes to God, but really aren't doing what the Father has asked them to do. They appear to care about what God wants and to do the right thing, but in reality they don't really care. And they aren't really doing the right thing, even though it looks all put together on the outside. And when John the Baptist came, they did not believe his message. 
And despite all the good things they've done, good things, and the way they looked, they really were saying no to God with their lives. So this parable presents us with two prototypes of people, right? The first is outwardly disobedient, then repentant and coming back to God. The second is outwardly obedient, but does not do the will of God or come to him. Neither of these is ideal, are they? No, what's the best option? Say yes, do yes, right? The yes, yes group is the best, right? But that's not presented to us too here. We have these two. And obviously that first one is the better one to be in. The one who says no, but then does yes. That's the better one. Which one are we? Which one are we? Are we the yes, the no, or the no, then yes? Or are we a yes, yes person? Which one are we? And it might change, it might shift moment to moment in our lives, which group we belong to. But what terrifies me when I read this parable and when I dig into it, what terrifies me is the question, am I like those chief priests and elders? Am I like those who look like they have their life okay on the outside, but inside their hearts are hardened to God? Inside, when it comes down to it, am I really doing what God has called me to do, asked me to do? Am I really doing it? Am I really following God? Not just in big things in life, but in the little things too. Because there's so much busyness in life. There's so much running around so much trying to hang the badge of honor out of ourselves, saying, yes, of course I'm busy because I'm an important person. There's so much of that. And it can get so in the way of actually following God, actually worshiping God, actually serving Him, and doing what He calls us to do. Are we so busy that we're telling God yes, but really not doing it? Do we have so much on our plate that the items are sliding off and there's no room left for God? There's all kinds of other reasons we don't do the will of God too, right? It's not just because we're busy. We can be selfish. We can be forgetful. We can be careless. We can be hard-hearted. We can be angry. We can be all kinds of things. Or maybe we're come at it from the other side. Maybe we're like the tax collectors and the prostitutes, saying no to God. But then maybe God is speaking to us today and saying, repent, come back to me, come back, let me welcome you. Maybe God is speaking that word to you today. And this is your opportunity and my opportunity to let down our defenses and allow God to have our heart and to seek to serve him in this world. I've certainly been there in my life. I've been there in a major way when I first came to Christ. I'd been living my life in exactly how I thought I should live it, which was doing everything I wanted to do, which I found was painful for me and painful for the people around me. It was horrible. But then Christ revealed himself to me, and I submitted to his love and followed him. He redeemed me. But now I wonder if I'm not more like the elders and the chief priests, saying yes, 
but not really following through. Just a little cold, obedient enough to get by, or at least look like I'm getting by. This parable rattles me. And parables should rattle us. If they don't bother us, I don't think we're listening. Parables, and the way Jesus tells them, have a way that they draw us in, draw us into the story, make us care about what's going on. And then suddenly we find that we are being ambushed by God and that he's gotten to our heart. He's broken down the defenses. Today, may God break down the walls we've built in our lives, break down the barriers around our hearts and minds that we use to keep them out and to maintain the facade of, of sufficiency. And may he reveal himself to us afresh and anew. And may we turn over ourselves to him. I ask you today, what kind of child are you? What kind of child are we? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for asking us the hard questions. Thank you for presenting us with this parable which is terrifying and comforting. Lord, because in it we see both uh, that you can rip the rug out from under us, but that if we turn our hearts to you, Lord, you will catch us. We pray that you would humble our hearts, that you would fill us up with a desire for repentance, that you would turn us to you, Lord God. Lord, so often we find ourselves running away from you and what you ask of us. But Lord, I pray today that you would show yourself to us afresh, that you would reveal the absolute grace and mercy that are ours through faith in your Son, and that you would refresh and restore us. And may we walk in this world in humility, sharing your hope and love with others. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.